0: You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins.
1: Feels good at church today, does it not? How are we doing? Oh, y'all are nuts for coming to church here. I have no idea what you're doing. So anyways, man, thanks to Larry and Jedi for coming out and busting a move for us today. And I'm so grateful for City Youth. And Carlos and Robbie and all the volunteers that create tribal communities for our students so that our students can be encouraged in their relationship with Christ and build deep relationships together. And, you know, uh, there are a lot of adults and students as well in our city that are living life lonely and disconnected. And we don't feel like that is acceptable. And I want you to think back just for a minute to a time in your life that you felt like was the loneliest season of your life. And then I also want you to think about the time in your life where you felt the most connected to other people. And these days is a very connected time for me with my wife. I mean, we're having a pretty good time of it, being married together today. And uh, sometimes I'll say, Jeannie, let's just go take a walk and take a lap is what we call it. And we walk on the river walk hand in hand. We like to go to the parks downtown. We just went to the Yonweta Garden uh, Park, the new park in um, Millennial Park here and enjoy Millennial. Is it Millennial Park? What's that park right there with the tower? Tower of the Americas Park? What's that called Hemisphere Park. I was thinking I was in Chicago there for a minute. So anyways, um, we, we enjoyed that park. You know, on a lot of nights, we are talking and we're in conversations, and the conversation lasts longer than what we can stay awake. And so she'll just fall asleep when I'm mid-sentence, you know, and we just continue to talk until we fall asleep at night. But those of you that know our story know that that wasn't always the case in our marriage. And then about 15 years ago, um, we were on the verge of divorce. We were separated. Uh, we were in this marriage counselor's office and he was asking these probing questions. And I remember in response to one of his questions, my wife Jeannie said, it feels like we're roommates, not a married couple. And that kind of hit me because you know what she was saying was that we're in the same house, but we're not really connected. We're not connected like a married couple should be. And so I think we all know that being connected is much more than being in the same room together. And if some of you were to describe your loneliest seasons of life, it would probably be times where there were people around, but you just didn't feel connected to them. And so what do you do? How do you get connected to, like, a shy child who stays in a room while the other kids in the neighborhood are out playing? Or how do you connect to people when you're afraid that they're not going to accept you? Or how do you connect to a distant and cold wife or a husband that's neglecting you and doesn't have a clue that your heart is aching for a deeper level of connection? Or how do you connect when you're new to town or you're new to this church and you just don't know anybody around? What do you do to connect to other people? And we want all of you to feel connected to other people that encourage you in your spiritual life. And that's why we've been in this series called Tribal, because we understand that we're way better together than we are when we are disconnected. And so you guys are starting all kinds of what we call tribes here. Some of you are starting organic tribes. Now, organic tribes are the ones that just kind of rise up naturally. They're not necessarily in the church buildings and the like, but they just pop up naturally even where you work. In fact, I was emailing with a woman in our church this past week, and she was explaining to me that she felt a prompting to just start a prayer group in uh, her office at her company. She works at a very well-known large company here in San Antonio, and here's what she said in the email. I took a step of faith with a handful of peers, and it's proven to be, a soothing, uh, to be soothing and helpful in our journey. And wouldn't some of you love when you're going through the grind of a daily work day to be able to just pull over to someone's office and just pray together and get a little bit of soothing to help you make it through the rest of your day? And other people are starting what we call oikos tribes. Now, oikos is a Greek word that means family, like your extended family, your immediate family, which is your most important tribe, but then also the cousins and the uncles and all that gather with you. And some of you are so busy going to recitals and soccer games and baseball games and the like, if you kids, you don't have another night of the week to devote to hanging out with other people from church and the like. So get your family together and create a tribe and pray together and do tribe talk and study the scriptures together. But then some are starting flash tribes. Now, flash tribes are just like flash mobs where just a group of people just say, hey, we're not going to make a long-term commitment to get together every uh, week or um, all the time. But you just say, hey, let's get together tonight. Let's eat together. Let's pray for each other and support each other in the Lord. And others are starting road tribes. I know people in our church who don't have another time during the week to worship and get together, so they adopt a row. Now, don't adopt a row at our 1030 service because you won't be able to sit on the same row because it's too packed there. But I thank you for coming to the 1:30 service. There's a little bit more elbow room and space here, but some are adopting a row. They come and worship together like a family and then go eat afterwards and uh, pray for each other and have tribal conversation there. And then some of you are stepping up to be tribal catalysts. A tribal catalyst is a person who initiates tribal activity in the gathering of people together. Just step up and do it. Remember, we say, don't get permission, but just get busy. And I was at the HEB Deco Thursday night, and a lady from church catches me there and she says, hey, Pastor Doug. I'm like, hey, what's going on? And she says, well, I got to tell you something. I went to one of those tribes, this group of ladies at the church, and I've been gone for several weeks. And one night, Pastor Doug, those ladies, they like put their hands on my shoulder and they prayed for me because I've been addicted to cocaine. And ever since those ladies prayed for me, I hadn't touched the stuff. I hadn't done cocaine for three weeks. And I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life again. That's pretty good stuff, is it not? And you know, yeah, yeah, thank God. And you know why that happened. Because one woman in our church was a tribal catalyst and stepped up to gather a group of ladies together and initiated the formation of a tribe where women could be prayed for and be encouraged spiritually. So don't underestimate the significance of your efforts to gather people together for spiritual purposes. And so as I was thinking about this, I had to go back and read that book by Larry Crabb called Connecting. And in this book, this is a world-renowned Christian psychologist, and he's made a radical shift in his thinking on therapy. Now he definitely believes that therapy is necessary, helpful and important, but he spent a majority of his career working people through the counseling process, and he would liken uh, therapy to, in the physical realm, to surgery on your physical body. And he would liken community to having a good diet, of good food, good nutrition. And he says that communities like the nutrition that keeps us from having to have therapy, let me show you what he says in the book, he says, I'm now working toward a day when communities of God's people, ordinary Christians whose lives regularly intersect, will accomplish the most, uh, most of the good that we now depend on mental health professionals to provide. And they will do it by what? Say that word? connecting with each other in ways that only the gospel makes possible. And so one of the best Christian psychologists in the world says that communities, or what we're calling tribes, are going to solve a lot of the problems that keep people from having to go to therapy. He goes on to say in his book, the greatest need in modern civilization is the development of communities, true communities, where the heart of God is home, where the humble and wise learn to shepherd those on the path behind them, where trusted strugglers lock arms with others as together they journey on. And so in the Bible study that we're going to look at today, we're going to see how we can nurture and foster this type of close connection and community in our church and our relationships in our tribes but i need to give you a little bit of background on the text that we're going to be studying today it's the the letter to the hebrews and so the author there is writing to these hebrew christians and what they don't know is is that their temple is about to be destroyed They're about to lose the the icon of their spirituality. And so to a first century Jewish person, their temple represented all that they held dear. It was a glorious facility. It was amazing. And they thought it could never fall, but it would happen. Yet these Christians didn't know it yet it's the equivalent of the Spurs losing the AT&T Center or the Cowboys losing Jerry World. I mean, it just wouldn't be the same uh, without it, would it? But these Christians were about to lose their temple. And I think part of what Jesus wanted to communicate in the Scriptures and the other uh, biblical authors is that our church community is not just a building. Our identity doesn't come from the Cameo Theater or whatever, whatever other venue that we're in. What if we lost this place in the coming days? What would we have left? And I think what the Bible would tell us is that we're to have our tribe, our tribal communities together, that we would continue to move forward and thrive in uh, tribal relationships. So with this in mind, I want you to see what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 13. Look at verse one and five. He says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so we're going to meld those two verses together to create the big idea for our conversation today, and it's simply this. When you're connected to your tribe, you'll sense God connected with you. And so the last four words of that big idea, I'm going to have you say out loud here in just a minute, those last four words, God connected with you. I'll say the first part, I'll point to you, and you'll finish it out for us. You ready? When you're connected to your tribe, you'll sense God connected to you. Very good. God connected to you. Connection is what God is all about. He says, Jesus says that I want you to be as close as I and the Father are one close. He wants us to be connected in that way, and in that connection, we experience God. But let's unpack Hebrews 13 verse by verse. Um, so look at verse 1. We connect as family. Remember, he says, love one another as brothers and sisters. And so with this in mind, I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to tell him, good afternoon, brother. Good afternoon, sister. Okay, it's a short sentence. It doesn't take that long. We're right, Ready? You know, popular author and pastor Rick Warren says, a Christian without a church family is an orphan. You know, he also asks the question, what does a baby need the most? A baby needs a family to raise that child. And if you're a baby Christian, you need a church family. You need a family of people who love you and will nurture you along and help you grow in your relationship with Christ more than you need just more Bible knowledge and Bible insights at some type of a study. You need a family who will join with you and partner with you to help raise you in the Lord so you can grow um, in the things of God. And Larry Crabb in his book Connecting says that there are three ingredients of a healing family. If you wanna be a part of a healing tribe, if you're creating a tribe, if you're a part of a tribe, You need these three ingredients to see healing happen within that community of people. And the first one is simply this, a taste of Christ delighting in us, a taste of Christ delighting in us, in you. And so I want to show you this in the Old Testament of the Bible, Zephaniah 3.17. The prophet says, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take, what's that word? delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. And so the Hebrew word there for rejoice over you literally could be rendered spin around under violent emotion, or basically it means to dance. And so that's why uh, one translator of this particular text translates it he will dance with shouts of joy over you so if you can imagine just for a minute in your tribe the people show you that god is like larry and jedi break dancing over you he's busting the move over you because he's so delighted in the beautiful creation of god that he made you to be And so this is what your tribe does. But look at number two, a diligent search for what is good. Your tribal members are always in this diligent search for the treasure inside of you. The Bible tells us that when we came to faith in Christ, we're like these clay jars or these clay pots with a treasure on the inside. And what our tribes do is we look for the treasure that's inside, we see past the clay jar or the imperfections on the outside to see the treasure that's beneath. Have you ever been around a group of people, um, religious people, who are always just pointing out your faults and the stuff that's wrong with you, right? Uh, Some of you have been to that church before, and that's no fun at all, right? But what our tribes want to do is look beneath the exterior roughness and see the treasure of Christ on the inside and draw that out, shine forth. light of Christ. But our tribes don't just gloss over the bad or the painful in our lives, do they? And that leads us to number three. The third ingredient of a healthy uh, spiritual family is an engaging exposure of what's bad or painful. But see, the heart and motivation is what's so important here, is that your spiritual family is willing to point out the imperfections and the bad with a redemptive purpose to see you made new, to be restored and redeemed in Christ. See, this is the motivation. They're not using it as a way to exploit you, but they want to point out the bad so that it can be cleaned up and healed up. So this is how we connect as spiritual families and our tribes, but let's look at the next verse to see the next connection point in Hebrews. We connect with hospitality. Look down at verse 2, and then we'll also look at verse 6. He says, do not forget to show, what's that word? hospitality." to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me?" So I was thinking about this fear of mere mortals. Uh, One night when I was ministering over on the city's east side with Pastor Jim from Strong Foundation Ministry for Homeless Families, and we went to Hackberry in Houston, and we were doing video interviews on the streets. And some of you know that they used to call Hackberry Street over there Crackberry uh, for some reason. And we were there videotaping people and interviewing people on the streets and starting up conversations with people. And so we have this camera that could be, you know, Hawk or whatever. And um, I, I started to feel some negative vibes coming my way, especially when I met this guy named Shorty. Now Shorty Uh, was a bit of a pharmaceutical sales guy, you know, and he didn't like us on his corner. And Shorty had this, like, wingman with him, and his wingman would always, whatever Shorty said, the wingman would just say, yeah, just like that, right? And so anyway, Shorty's cussing us out, and he's all, get that effing video camera off the east side, and his man's like, yeah, right? And so he's all, I'm gonna kick your effing blank, blank, blank his man's all, yeah, right? So I didn't want any trouble. And um, so we're just, Jim and I just start walking away. And we're walking back towards the Strong Foundation ministry. And Shorty has not had enough. I mean, he follows us. And he's still talking trash, right? He's like, that's right. I'll kick you behind you. Get on out of here, white guy, you know. And his, his boy's all, yeah, right? And so I turn around. I didn't know what to do. And something comes to me. And I turn around like, you don't want none of this, right? You need to know. <laughs> but when I turn around, I look Shorty in the eye and I said, Hey man, you want to come have dinner with us? And he went from to, you know, I think I'd like that. His boys all, yeah. (laughs) So, so we go over to strong foundation, right? And Pastor Jim has like this great barbecued chicken and potatoes and corn and all this great food. And he brings it out and spreads it out on the table. And we sit down and we enjoy a hospitality meal together. And you know, uh, in those moments, we connected That's how you connect through hospitality. And you know, the Bible says that sometimes when you share hospitality with people, you entertain angels unaware. I don't know if Shorty was an angel. If he was, angels say some words that I just didn't know that they were into saying, you know? But I do know this, in the weeks following that meal, Shorty would escort the women from Strong Foundation from their bus stop over to the ministry to make sure that they were no longer harassed on their way to the ministry. And I think that's hospitality connection, right? Yeah. So this is why we say tribes eat. We're intentional about sharing meals together in order to build our connection and intimacy together. But in the next verse, we're going to see that we connect through empathy. Look at verse 3. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. You know, we have a fair amount of people who have been in prison who are regulars and now ministering to other people in our church. And they, above all, can resonate with those who have done time and know what that feels like. In fact, last week, I had a guy approach me about starting a tribe to visit prisoners. And so, perhaps we'll have a table where you can be involved in that in the coming days. But um, the admirers of Mother Teresa would often go to her and say, Mother, how is it that you continue to serve the hungry, the dying, the prisoners, and the hurting? Um, And here's what she said. She said, whenever I meet someone in need, it's really Jesus in his most distressing disguise. And so the way she empathizes that she sees Jesus in the child abandoned by the road, or Jesus in the hungry person, the beggar, hoping for a meal, or Jesus in the leper whose limbs are disintegrating away. She sees Jesus in the prisoner, and the mother says that it's him I help him Alone, And so when you look for the treasure inside that tribal family member, you can see Jesus there. And that helps to give you empathy for that person. But another thing Mother Teresa said about this issue of being connected is she says, the most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. Isn't that the truth? That is the worst hell on earth to experience um, loneliness and not being loved. And this is what we find unacceptable here at our church. But another thing that we'd like to see connection is, is connection in marriage. Look down at verse 4 of the text we're studying today. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. You know why God hates adultery? He doesn't hate it because someone is disregarding one of his rules or checking off a box of good behavior on the list. But He hates it because adultery causes a disconnection in the relationship. And most of you, many of you know that Jesus' definition of adultery is quite a bit different than ours. He says if you lust after another person, um, you've committed adultery in your heart. And the reason that Jesus is so hard on that particular behavior is because He doesn't want you to experience the judgment of disconnection God wants us to be connected with our spouse at a deep level, but whether or not there's adultery, there's a large number of married couples today who feel disconnected and lonely. In fact, I was reading a book by Margaret Feinberg called 20-something, and she did this survey work where she asked 20-somethings what were the biggest issues that they were dealing with in their lives. I want to show you what she said in that book. While finances and relationships topped the list, loneliness resonated among a surprising number of those who responded. And look at this next part. Interestingly, loneliness was cited more often amongst married couples than singles. That's why uh, next month we're going to spend two weeks on tribal marriage because your most important tribe is your marriage. And then we're going to do one week on tribal remarriage because we realize that's the case in many of our families in the church. But when you're emotionally connected, it leads to healthy connection in the bedroom. The Bible is all about us having a healthy connection and being connected in the bedroom as married couples. And some people think that Christians are sexually repressed because of all these guidelines for um, our sexuality and the like that we find in the Bible. But if you think that's the truth, all you have to do is walk up to Kids City on the second floor, the baby room, and you'll find out that Christians who are connected in spiritual community here at this church are having the best sex in the city. I'm just telling you that right now. And we are producing some mega awesome, beautiful babies up here. I'll just tell you the truth. That's what's going on, right? Yeah. Yeah, so so some of the men are all, amen, honey, let's go home and connect, right? But look at the next part of the scripture. It says connect through contentment connect through contentment. In verse five, the author says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You know, this verse, as I looked at it, it seemed to be two different thoughts within one verse, right? Which was odd to me. Because if you look at that verse, it says, keep your lives free from the love of money. And the second part says, God will never leave you or forsake you. What's the connection between being generous or being free of the the love of money and God always being with you? Well, I think I understood that as I thought back to a time in my life when I was younger and I was in a tribe, a youth tribe, a group, youth group, if you will, um, with some friends, and we did everything together. I mean, we studied the Bible together. We ate together. We played sports together. We went to the movies together. We were involved in each other's lives. And I had a good friend in that group, and his name was Jason. And Jason and I were such good friends, we even became roommates when we went to college. And once we finished college, uh, you know, we, we both graduated and we both ended up at different places. He ended up a marketing director for a shopping mall in Lufkin, Texas. And I ended up in Fort Worth, Texas, working on my master's degree in theology. And while I was there in seminary, I got a call one night from Jason, and I could tell from the phone call that he had already been drinking way too much. And he was depressed, he was bummed out, he was suicidal, and he said, Doug, I just can't take it anymore. I'm going to end my life tonight. And I said, dude, please don't do that. Jason, please hold on. And I could tell that a phone call wasn't gonna cut it that night. And I said, man, I can be there in just a few hours. You just let me get to you. You just hold out and Jason, you better not be gone by the time I get there, man, just hang on. And so I got my car and I drove from Fort Worth to Lufkin and I finally got to his apartment and I went up to his apartment and we prayed together and we cried together and we talked and we held each other and the whole deal, you know, a big old dude hug and the whole thing. And finally, he got to feeling better to a point where we were both so tired that, uh, you know, I just slept on the couch, and he went into his room, went to sleep, and we woke up the next morning, and he seemed to be doing okay. It seemed that the storm had passed, and so I felt okay to drive back to Fort Worth, and so I did, and he went to work that day. Well, the next day, I get this bill uh, in the mail, and it was my electric bill. And Jeannie and I had this little bitty apartment in those days, and our electric bill was $72. What I wouldn't give for a $72 electric bill today, but in those days, $72 were a lot, was, was a lot of money for us. So I want you to remember that number, 72. So I'm going to point to you, and I want you to say 72. Ready? 72. 72 okay, we're going to come back to that number here in just a minute. But then um, complicate matters. I have this $72 electric bill. And I had committed to tithe to our church that we were attending in Fort Worth. Jeannie and I had just made this commitment. We're going to do this. And for those of you that are new to church, tithe just simply means tenth. It means you commit to give a tenth of your income to the work of God through your local church. And so we had to make a decision because we were living below the poverty level at that time in our lives. And we didn't have enough money in our bank account to cover the electric bill that was how much? 72. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have enough to cover it, and so we had to make a choice. So we made the choice to pay our tithe because we wanted God more than we wanted electricity. And then two days later, we get a letter in the mail, and we opened up the letter, and the letter was from Joan. Joan is Jason's mother. And Joan sent me this really nice letter thanking me for driving all the way to Lufkin, Texas to talk her son out of committing suicide. Also in the envelope, I pull out a little check, and the check was $80 that Joan had sent. Now, if you take a tithe out of $80, what do you have left? 72. Some of you who didn't do so well at math, you're going, wait a minute, let me get out my phone and the calculator here and figure that out. You take the tithe out of $80 and you've got 72, right? God was present for us. The love of money does not work well with uh, uh, greediness and all that. We can't have uh, greediness and experience God at the same time. And so It taught me a lesson that day that I connected with Joan. Uh, Jeannie and I connected on a deeper level with Jason, but we also connected with God. And we saw that day that when you're connected to the tribe, you'll sense God connected with you because God provided exactly what we needed. He was there for us. He taught us that through the 72. So with this in mind, how about we bow for prayer? And as we bow, perhaps some of you are feeling that this loving being is drawing you to himself. That would be God. He wants to be in a position with you where you feel that he never will leave you or forsake you. And Some of you are feeling like, man, I don't know what it is about this moment, but it's like God is drawing me to himself. Well, it's because he wants to have love relationship with you if you could simply believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, he would start a love relationship with you. So if you'd like to say a prayer in your own heart, just between you and God, something like this, to begin a relationship with him, just say, look, God, I know I've sinned and I've screwed up. But right now, the best I understand it, I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin and I welcome you into my life. So the second prayer we're going to pray is the prayer of connection. And I'm going to ask some of you to do something a bit bold today. If you feel disconnected from some relationship in your life or you feel lonely, or if you've got someone that you know of that is completely disconnected from other people, I'm gonna ask you to come to the front and kneel. And you know, some of you feel so alone. I want you to understand that there are people around you, people in this church that love you, and our prayer leaders are here at the front and they're gonna come and they're gonna put a hand on your shoulder and they're gonna pray for you to let you know that the hands of Jesus are here represented through their prayers and that you're not alone and that you have a spiritual family here that's a warm incubator of love that wants to feel connection with you and wants to to be present with you and let God's presence flow through them. So you come and kneel and pray and God will connect with us. God that's like in another universe but you're like drawing us closer and I pray for all of us that need your touch today that you just draw us in close to your chest and hold us there so that we can feel your heartbeat because you're not a god that's distant but you're a god that wants to come near to us and we thank you that you're transforming our church in these days from just a crowd to a community of people not just people sitting in these seats that are separated but that we are siblings together family in Christ. Christ, thank you for the idea of community that you gave us through your word. Thank you that you're a very, very personal and loving and relational God. And I thank you that some people are feeling new senses of connection, some with their spouse, some with a distant friend, some that just feel lonely and they don't understand it, but they're drawn to the warmth of your presence. Amongst your people, God, we're very aware of the idea that no one ever grows spiritually alone, but in community. And that's what our hearts desire to experience and be. And Lord, as I kind of open my eyes during the prayer and I look at some that are praying like hardcore down here today, I'm just so proud of them because I know the faith that it took for some to step forward and come down here and kneel and kind of put themselves out there in front of a group of people. And I pray that you would show them just how completely safe they are in this place and that they're completely loved. And I pray that as these prayer leaders have put a hand on people and prayed for them, that your power would go out through them. And we're just common people. That We're common people with a straight-up treasure on the inside. And you are that treasure. And your presence is healing. And your presence is fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I pray that that fruit would just kind of wash over us like a wave of your healing. So thank you so much for what you're doing among us in this tribe, in the heart of your city. And for all of the good that you're doing in our lives and in our hearts this weekend. And throughout all these services over the weekend, we give you credit and glory and honor. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.